This is episode 113 with Scott Crabtree. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Brian McGuire. And if you are in pursuit of your own happiness, this is the podcast for you. Join me along my own journey in finding happiness as I cover topics such as health, wellness, mindset, travel, adventure, dating, relationships, and so much more as I interview some of the most passionate and successful people in the world, including today's guest, Scott Crabtree, who is the Chief Happiness Officer at Happy Brain Science. I've been wanting Scott on for months, and I'm so glad we finally got to make it happen. What a super informative conversation with Scott, and he brings the science and research to back it up, and I love that. Now, Scott discovered the science of thriving, positive psychology, and other brain sciences 20 years ago, and he immediately found his passion and became a teacher of that research. And eight years later, in 2011, he found happy brain science. Now, when I say Scott has worked with some prolific companies, I mean that. He's worked with DreamWorks, Nike, Boeing, Intel, Hewlett Packard, Activision, Blizzard, which I know from Call of Duty, you, for you gamers out there, Scott's actually a really big gamer as well. He actually continues to use his game development background to gamify all of his keynotes and workshops. And he also talks about producing the successful serious card game, Choose Happiness at Work. And yes, I mentioned work and all these companies he's worked for. Scott has the research about happiness and life in general, but he really knows his stuff when it comes to happiness at work. And many of us have struggled with happiness at work. I'm raising my hand right now as I'm speaking this. So I took full advantage of asking him questions I've always wanted to know as to what really makes workers happy. Is it the pay? Is it the people they work with, their boss and management being appreciated? Is it the commute or working remote? We deep dive into everything that makes an employee happy. And there was definitely a few things I was surprised that didn't rank very high in the happiness scale. Let's just say I thought work-life balance would actually place much, much higher on the scale, but he brought the research to back it up. Now, one question I have for you is what makes you happy at work? Shoot me a DM or leave a comment on this post on Instagram at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I really want to hear from you on this one. All right, let's dive into the science of happiness with the chief happiness officer at Happy Brain Science, Scott Crabtree. Here we go. Scott Crabtree, welcome to the podcast. We are a match made in heaven. (laughs) If you want to explain what you do, you can probably explain it better than I can. Sure. I teach the science of happiness for a living is the the short way I put it. And that usually leads to a bunch of questions, but that's why we're here. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. I love that. And I'm glad we can make this happen. Now, would you say you focus more on the science of happiness in general, or are you kind of more like work related? Definitely focused on adults at work. However, most of the science that I teach is just done on adults. 
So some of the studies that I cite are are very grounded in workplaces, mm-hmm. and some are done on nuns, for example. So um, the the science is fairly universal. I think we have a lot of blessed diversity in the in the human species, but we share a lot of, uh, in common with each other, regardless mm-hmm. of where we are in life. So. Yeah, I do focus on adults at work for Happy Brain Science, my company, but I like to think that almost everything I say applies to most people most of the time. I should give a little caution there, a little more detail before I go on, which is I ground my work in in science. Science is not perfect, first of all. I trust science more than I trust anyone's opinion, including my own, but science produces averages, right? And you're not an average, Ryan, you're a unique person. Somebody listening to this is not an average, they are a unique person. So science can guide us to better choices that'll make us happier and we get lots of benefits from that that we can talk about, but not every study is gonna, not every finding is gonna work for every person. So I always encourage people to experiment with their own lives. And particularly if any of your listeners are, neurodiverse, as we tend to say these days, if their brain is wired a bit differently than someone else's, great. Again, we need that diversity, but it means they should apply a bit more caution in Mm. experimenting with these findings and seeing if they work for them. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the definition of success as well. What's success? Success is different for everybody. Same thing for happiness. There is no one size fits all. Exactly. There are some, some wise paths and some paths that are unlikely to work out for us, <laughs> but that doesn't mean we can be told what to do. Exactly. And I want to give you some clout here. You work with some really, really big clients. I find that very impressive. We have DreamWorks, huge. Nike, it's probably because you're based, it helps that you're based in Portland, right? Isn't that you're in it Oregon? It does help that I'm based in Oregon. Yeah. I moved from <laughs> Portland to a small town in central Oregon called Sisters. Nice. Uh, not long ago or near sisters, but anyway, yes, it does help. And honestly, Ryan, luck has helped as well. And 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 telling people I've been lucky isn't very helpful. Like you could just hope to get lucky, right? But I want to be honest. Hmm. I have had some good luck along the way too. But yes, as a result of both luck and hard work and good science, I have had a lot of name droppy worthy clients I am proud of. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And a positive attitude, right? I mean, I imagine considering you study happiness, you probably apply this to your life on a daily basis and being positive and fun attracts things like that, right? It does. And and it's it's interesting, Ryan. I this is the following is is anecdotal gut feel. It is not peer-reviewed scientific data, but I worked with a, I've worked with a lot of organizations on a lot of levels through the now 11 plus years I've been doing this full time. And my perception is that the higher I go in an organization, the higher the scores I get. Now, let me be clear why I'm sharing this. It's not to brag. It's not to say, oh, I'm CEO material. And the closer I get to the CEO, the better they like me. No, that's not mm-hmm. it. <laughs> What I'm trying to reinforce is your point. I honestly believe that people who get to the top of organizations, people who are successful leaders, part of how they get there is by focusing on what's right with people, focusing on what's right with the company, focusing on what's right with the world. 
it's super easy to be negative. Mm. According to scientists, we all have a quote, negativity bias, as they call it, meaning we're wired to focus on what's wrong before we look at what's strong. And that makes perfect sense in a lot of situations, including the survival of all of our ancestors, right? Negativity bias is super useful in a cold, harsh wilderness. But in a modern, comfortable workplace that I hope a lot of your listeners enjoy, I really believe positive attitude generates happiness, which generates better brain function and therefore better results. And part of why those people end up at the top is they look at a training by me and they're like, hey, I see a bunch of good stuff instead of people, quote, at the bottom. And I don't mean to sound classist or elitist about this, but people who are younger, just starting out, whatever, haven't been blessed with some positive attitude mm. coming from their family or whatever, it's easy to look at a training of mine and be like, well, this part wasn't perfect and this part wasn't perfect. And therefore I disregard the whole thing. So I think positive attitude, it, positive attitude sounds cliche. The science, the peer reviewed scientific experimental data is a hundred percent clear. It works. Yeah. I find myself just being attracted to wanted to be around my friends that are very positive compared to the ones, you know, are just a drag. Like you're not as excited to call them. You call because you feel obligated, not because you want to. Um, yeah. So do you, can you tell from your studies, can you tell if like somebody's truly happy or can you like kind of see like past their, you know, past what they're giving off their little aura? <laughs> uh, first of all, just to be clear and not take credit where it's not due. I don't really do any studies. I study studies. So mm. I just want to be clear that I am not a scientist. I am not one of the brilliant people I'm talking about when I say there are brilliant scientists out there doing amazing research. But that said, can I see through somebody's fake happiness? Yeah, I think we all can pretty mm. quickly. And mm. I mean, there, there's ways even to see it on people's faces, right? There's, yeah. um, I'm not a great actor. So for anyone watching this on video, don't, don't think that I'm doing this correctly, but a genuine, uh, a genuine smile that comes from genuine happiness is called a Duchenne smile. Mm -hmm. And you can tell because the eyes smile too. And if you get what is not an authentic smile, I sometimes call it a retail smile. Mm -hmm. It's all mouth and no eyes. You know, it's yeah. all like, hi, great to see you. But the eyes aren't saying that, just the mouth is saying that. So I think most of us at an intuitive level pretty quickly see through each other's baloney. And and for that and other reasons, yeah, you, you can tell pretty much when someone's happy, I think. Yeah, body language. Exactly. Such a huge, such a huge factor. I was asking that because if if you work with CEOs, which you clearly do, um, you know, it's one of those things you, I don't know, I, are CEOs happy people? Because I feel like a lot of them would be stressed, you know, more money, yeah. more problems, like there's a lot to deal with, they're running a business, like, are those people like genuinely happy uh, like, I don't know. What are your thoughts a on lot that? Of, a lot of them really are. It's yeah. it's surprising for exactly the reasons you say. I assumed that people at the top of organizations would be really stressed out and therefore miserable. But the evidence suggests that the higher you are in a social hierarchy, the lower the amount of cortisol in your bloodstream. So cortisol, for listeners or watchers who don't know, cortisol is loosely equivalent to adrenaline. You get cortisol in your bloodstream if 
as I was a few months ago. If you're fishing by yourself in a stream in Alaska and a giant bull moose comes charging at you, wow. yes, really happened to me. Your body will flood with cortisol and that's super useful, right? Like got me into fight or flight and I was able to survive that encounter, no problem. Uh, long story short. So look, there's nothing wrong with cortisol, but there is a problem with cortisol flowing through your bloodstream all day, every day, mm. right? Cortisol mm. is designed to help us survive encounters with moose or bear or tiger or whatever, but not deal with Susan in accounting. Uh, cortisol is not, not a great way to deal with Susan in accounting or, or Steve in marketing or whoever bugs you at work, right? So Again, I don't mean to sound elitist or classist about this, but the studies, they're really fascinating. They look at British civil servants and private corporations and even troops of baboons. The higher you are in a social system, the lower the cortisol in your bloodstream, typically on average. And the experts believe that comes primarily from autonomy. So we need autonomy. We need self-governance. And those who are high up, those who are CEOs and organizations, yeah, they have a lot of responsibility. Yeah, they have a lot of stress. They also have a lot of autonomy. They are mm. in charge. They get to do whatever they want. And, and this data shows up in other ways. So if you look at data of happy careers and unhappy careers, the happiest careers tend to be those with lots of autonomy. Real estate agents, for example, they hardly ever get a day off because you got to just jump when a client's like, I'd like to look at this house. You're like, it's Saturday morning. Okay, let's go. Right. So they, so in that way, they don't have tremendous autonomy, but because real estate agents tend to work for themselves, they tend to run their own show. Sure, they're at a an agency or a company maybe, but they're basically independent. Those kind of people end up happy. So a good way to be miserable is to get bossed around and micromanaged a lot. And a good way to be one of many ways to boost your happiness is to find more autonomy in your life if possible. Now, I'm the one on this podcast as asking a lot of the questions, but I want to give you the reins if you ever see an opportunity <laughs> to do it back to me. You can test me as like a test subject because I'm going to give you full like clearance to do that because thank you at work. I'll just say I'm having a lot of cortisol probably run through my veins like every day, the last few months, it's been incredibly stressful. Oh, I'm sorry but, to hear that. I know. But what I do as well as I do design work, graphic design, branding, and all that kind of stuff. And it's something that I've done on my own on the side for 10, 11, 12 years. It's something I'm just considering doing having that autonomy, calling my own shots. I know I can do it. It's just... You know, yeah. having a soft landing, right? If I take the, take yeah. the leap, I don't want to just <laughs> hit rock bottom. I have responsibilities in life, but yeah. Yep. So I'm going to put that out there and you're welcome to use me as your guinea pig or test subject to ask me things. And we can use me as an example for all the listeners. Um, but I know you do work. Did you create this game happiness at work? You created a game for that? I do. I have uh, I have a card game I'm holding up for people who are watching on video, and awesome. it is called Choose Happiness at Work. And it is a bit like apples to apples, or dare I bring up Cards Against Humanity. Um, <laughs> so if anyone's played either one of those games, it's a similar play mechanic. So there are, imagine seven of us sitting around a table, and there's a a judge and and the judge picks one of these 50 problem cards that say things like 
when I'm stuck on a tough problem, I think the same thoughts over and over again. Or as the hours go by, I sit and sit and sit, I barely move. Or I'm in a terrible mood today. Or with too much to do and not enough time, I'm feeling stressed out. So very normal, typical human-related problems. Um, brief aside, there's a saying among speakers, facilitators like me, which is we teach what we need. Hmm. So I was drawn to the science of happiness because I needed some happiness. I also, like you, was not terribly happy at work. So, so a judge picks a problem and then everyone else is holding seven science-based solutions. So randomly picking some of these, and I'm not reading the whole card, just the titles, Solutions include communication and and delegation, communicate, uh, company, courage to fail, courageous conversation, etc. So that's the card game, but we happen to randomly, semi-randomly, some might call it fate, we happen to come across that, that card, courage to fail, which reminds me of your situation. Ryan. I was literally before I even like before I knew we were doing this like a week ago, I was I had that conversation with myself because I don't feel like I'm in a position where I can fail. I think everything. Yeah, yeah it's I don't feel comfortable enough to do it. And I honestly like I don't necessarily feel failure is failure. Fail, failure is just like pointing me in the right direction of okay, that didn't work. Let's try this. And exactly. I, I, I don't know that that's encouraged. You mentioned Nike. I've had the pleasure of working. I can't get into too much detail because it's confidential, but I've had the pleasure of working, working with some advanced research type teams at Nike. And they talk about fail fast, fail forward. In other words, you cannot innovate without failure. You just want to fail in the right way, mm. in the right direction. And so you learn something, right? So, so this card from Choose Happiness at Work says, courage to fail. Just Don't just tolerate the mistakes and failures you and your colleagues make. Celebrate most of them. Because failure happens when people are taking action, taking risks, learning, and growing. We can learn the most from our failures. This is key to achieving innovation. So... There's balance here, Ryan, for you and everybody else. There's ba balance between fear and go for it, right? I mean, it's easy to disfear, right? And, and you'll hear a lot of people on mm -hmm. podcasts like this and whatever be like, fear is the enemy, just overcome your fear. And it's like, well, fear kept me alive when there was a big bull moose charging at me in Alaska, right? So, <laughs> and and fear sometimes stops us from making foolish decisions, right? Hmm. I mean, if, if a sole income provider with a spouse and three kids is like, I'm going to go for it with no plan, it's like, okay, maybe you should be a little afraid of this, right? The the issue for many of us is that we we're smart people, right? And it's easy to imagine all the worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to have confidence that you're going to succeed, right? So I would recommend to you something that I did when I was starting Happy Brain Science, which is, I mean, I was scared. My wife was terrified. And my wife, bless her, we are wired differently, right? I'm a mm -hmm. risk taker. She's risk averse. So to help her feel better, we had one child at the time hoping to have another one. And I'm talking about walking away from Intel where I've had the best compensation I've ever had in my career, right? And she's <laughs> like, what? You're going to walk away from that when we want to have another kid? So we made a document called Lines in the Sand. 
And um, I find it funny and appropriate. Due to a typo, it came out lines in the sane instead of sand, (laughs) S-A-N-E. So anyway, lines in the sane was, okay, we have this much money in savings right now. Non-retirement savings, we have this much money. Scott really wants to go for this. He's all lit up about the science of happiness, wants to quit Intel and go for this. What safeguards are we going to put in place? Okay, we've got this much savings. If that savings drops by 25%, I need to aggressively pursue paid work as my full immediate priority with nothing else in mind, right? If the savings gets down to 60% of what it is now, I need to start looking for part-time programming jobs because I come from a computer programming background, right? If it gets to 33% of savings, I need to give up and get a full-time job, work on this on the side. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm delighted to report I never hit any of those um, those guardrails, those trigger points. But science suggests we make better decisions in advance. So in other words, instead of in the moment, should I get a part-time job? Maybe not enough work is coming in. Let's decide in advance. At what point of savings diminishing am I going to go get a job, right? So for you or anyone else taking a big risk out there or or contemplating a big risk going out on your own, First of all, I say, go for it. Like too many of us are scared. This has been the best 11 years of my career by far. I hope to never have another job in my life. I mean, I will gush all day long about the joys of starting your own thing and being your own boss and having that autonomy. It is awesome. And fear is useful. And if it gets us to put a few guardrails in place and make some choices in advance, keeps your family safe and and fed. That's great too. Mm. So I got a question based on that. I've brought it up in a few of my episodes. Maybe you can measure it more than anybody else I've ever talked to. And if you can't, sorry to put you on the spot. That's all good. You probably can at least measure from your own experiences. When you let go, there's probably something inside you that fights harder than when you had just the safety net of a job right? Like, how do you, how do you measure that? Cause you know, everybody can probably tried water for so long knowing that the, knowing that the, uh, they're on the shallow end. Right. But if yeah. you're in the deep end, you probably push harder than you ever pushed before knowing that there is no safety net. How do yeah, you measure exactly. that? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I have to explain my laughter first. It's not at you. I'm laughing at a a phone message I got from my good friend, Mark Buchanan on day one of happy brain science. So I quit Intel my last day is on a Friday. I have my weekend Monday comes, I got a call from Mark and, and, and I, I missed the call. He left a message. Mark said, Scott, welcome to the truly alive. Those of us who fight for our living every single day. It's an adventure you're never going to regret. And I'm really excited for you. Something like that. So yeah, no, Ryan, you're right on, right? I mean, a lot of us work hard, right? But when you are responsible for your own success and there's nobody there to hand it to you or no fallback department, there is no marketing department or sales department to help you or whatever, Boy, you you feel you feel really alive. I I, I mean, fear can be excitement if you interpret it the right way, right? One of my favorite TED Talks, and I'm a big fan of lots of them, but one of my favorite TED Talks that I cite frequently in the Science Happiness session that I have is from Kelly McGonigal. 
Kelly McGonigal has a TED talk about befriending stress. Um, by the way, I've mentioned games. Uh, Kelly has a twin sister, Jane McGonigal, who talks about video games. So don't get confused if you're looking for this TED talk, folks. This is Kelly McGonigal talks about befriending stress. Basically, we've heard a bunch of bad things about stress, right? Stress is bad for your health. Stress kills neurons. Yeah, that's true. But if you if you are trained to view stress as a useful source of energy, you feel better, but your body actually responds differently as well. Hmm. For all the nerdy details, see the TED Talk. But he, here's another analogy. I happen to play trumpet, so I find this funny. But the people who sit in front of the trumpets in orchestras tend to get ear damage from loud trumpet sounds. But people who go to really loud rock shows don't get as much ear damage. Why is that? The scientists believe it has to do with whether you're enjoying the sound or not. If you choose to go to a concert and you're like, I'm seeing Jimi Hendrix or, you know, somebody who's still alive. <laughs> I'm seeing some show I really want to see. <laughs> I saw Bob Dylan a while back. I'm seeing Bob Dylan. That's amazing. Then a whole bunch of blood flows around your ears and your ears handle it well. And if you're sitting in front of trumpets in, or, in an orchestra, you're not, you're, not, you're not hearing the whole orchestra. It's not that trumpet's awful. It's that your mix is horrible if your head is right in front of the trumpets. You get 80% trumpets and 20% everything else. And you're like, oh, I wish this trumpet weren't blasting in my ears. And so not as much blood flows around your ears and you don't handle it as well and your ears get damaged by it. Hmm. I think it's just an interesting analogy for stress and how we handle it, right? There's... There's at least two kinds of stress. There's the normal stress we all think of. And then there's what scientists call eustress. EU stress is a word that means positive stress, essentially. If you tell one of your listeners, you can do this, you can apply science, improve your life, have a better life, and be more successful, or your boss gives an inspiring speech at work and you think, heck yeah, I want to make that vision come true. We can help the world. Then that positive, like, let's go, is eustress. And there's almost no difference in the body, mm. how the body responds to different kinds of stress. The difference is how we think about it. But because of the way we think about it, our body can actually handle it better. So when you talk about launching on your own and the fear and the needing to really work hard to, to survive and keep your career going... Yeah, it's stressful, but it's you stressful. It's exciting. It's invigorating. It's, you know, you're alive when you work right. for yourself, so to speak. It's enticing. It, it kind of reminds me, I mean, it's a different subject matter, but it reminds me, I used to tell myself back when I was single, when I used to go on like a date with somebody when I was like incredibly like nervous. Yeah. And I used to just remind myself, hey man, I'm calm down. I'm nervous because it means something. And because it yeah. means something, it makes it really exciting. And that's a great thing. So yes. I used to tell myself that all the time. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. used to get nervous before giving presentations or workshops. I used to get nervous and I would react very badly to my own nervousness. I'd be like, oh, I'm nervous. This is not good. Like my palms are sweaty. I'm breathing quickly. Like, this is not good. I gotta calm down before I give this presentation, right? Mm -hmm. And since coming across that research, Kelly McGonigal's talk and the, and the research articles behind it, I'm now like, oh, this is great. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling a little stressed out. That's great. I'm going to bring my A game here. Yeah. And that means I'm going to do better because I'm a little bit amped up from this. That's awesome. Okay. I, I got some, some questions I keep writing down. I'm jotting down notes. I already had some. Now I got more. Cool. 
Okay. Where do I want to start? Um, okay. So what are the biggest factors to happiness at work? And I'm going to read off a few and feel free to interject your own. Okay. So I have one working for what you believe in or a product that you can get behind. Yep. I have your coworkers, managers, your pay, commute versus remote hours and work-life balance, appreciation, growth. And that's where I ended. What else is there? And perhaps can you help me rank some of those and what really matters the most to make you the happiest at where you work? What a fantastic list and question, Ryan. This is awesome. I'm not sure I got them all down. So remind me if I miss any of these, but let me start with science's clear, clear priority, other people, relationships. Mm -hmm. For most of us, most of the time, the quality of our relationships is the number one factor in our happiness and well-being. And just a quick aside, because we haven't talked about it yet. Happiness is not just something that feels good. Some of the following are correlational. Some of them, there's strong causal evidence, but Happier people are more productive, successful. They get paid more. They're healthier. They live longer. They're more energetic, cooperative, resilient, and engaged. It's like a laundry list of things we want in our lives. Mm. And according to the science, we get more of that when we're happier. Now, I like to try to paint the full picture, right? There are, There is such a thing as too happy. There are downsides of being really happy. You can take risks. Risks you shouldn't. If you're really, really happy, you're more gullible and less eloquent when you're super, super happy. So this is not just like, you should all be as blissed out as you can all the freaking time. That's unrealistic, right? In fact, science has found there's a sweet spot of about eight out of 10 happiness, or according to the University of Amsterdam, about as happy as Mona Lisa, who they say is 83% happy, go figure. That's the sweet spot. We are most successful, healthiest, live the longest when are about eight out of 10 happy. So I just want to get that in before I go further on your good list. This is not trying to pursue some unrealistic la-la land of con- constant bliss. This is being happier in the same set of life circumstances. So for most of us, most of the time, it's the quality of our relationships with other people that is the biggest factor by far. Okay. Almost everything else pales in comparison. So on your list, relationships with managers, huge. Relationships with colleagues, huge. Probably in that order, managers and leaders have an outsized impact on the people around them, which is why it's so important to have good leaders who get trained in how to lead well, right? In in the industry that I come from, the video game industry, you know, I love the industry. I'm not dissing the industry that I'm from and I'm a door. I'm, I'm about to go give three talks at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco in a couple of weeks. I love the video game world. I'm making a video game version of Choose Happiness at Work. But as an industry, it's not as mature as some other industries. It has not been around hundreds of years, right? So too often, at least 
in the old days when I was starting off, what they do is they take the best program their programmer and they'd make them a project manager without any training or support, right? And just because someone is a good illustrator or graphic designer doesn't mean they're going to be a great leader or manager, right? So I'm not sure who to attribute this quote to, but I've heard this quote, uh, the leader sneezes, the team catches a cold. Mm -hmm. So I think managers have an outsized impact on our moods, quality of life at work, et cetera. Managers need managing, by the way. So if so, if some listener there has out there has never heard of managing up, your manager needs to be managed as well by you as part of the, it's a two-way relationship, hopefully. So managers and colleagues, huge. Growth, huge, but especially for engagement. So let me quickly separate happiness and engagement. Happiness is positive emotions plus a long-lasting sense of well-being and meaning. You mentioned meaning. That's also really important for both happiness and engagement. If you define happiness the way I just did, because scientists define it that way, there's quite a bit of overlap with engagement, but they're not exactly the same thing. Engagement is an emotional commitment to work where you want to give it your best effort. It's not about working 80 hours a week or something like that, but it's about giving your best effort while you're working. I want to do well. That's engagement. So growth and meaning are good examples of things that help with both. But I'd say they help a bit more with engagement, a bit less with happiness, even though they help with both. Mm. Growth, career growth matters, but also just learning new things. That's very engaging for us most of the time. A couple things on your list don't have much effect. Pay is one of them. Um, I bet a bunch of your listeners are like, oh, yeah, well, I bet you're getting paid more than I am. Look. <laughs> Look, money is useful. I, I have two girls I want to send to college, right? Like money matters. Not getting paid fairly or feeling that your compensation is not fair is very disengaging. A lot of people quit managers because they're bad. A lot of other people quit because they feel like they're not getting fairly compensated. Mm -hmm. But pay is interesting on engagement. You cannot engage someone through pay. You can pay someone a million dollars a year, they'll still be disengaged. Engagement is about hearts and minds and meaning and growth and relationships and things like that. So it's really interesting. Mo money does buy happiness, but just not very well once your basic needs are met. Hmm. Now, let me be crystal clear, right? I, 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 don't, I don't know that much about you and I don't mean to pry into your personal life. But one glance at your Zoom background, and I know that you and I have our basic needs met, right? Like we're not struggling to afford food and medicine and, and shelter, right? Correct, correct. If you cannot afford food or shelter or healthcare, more money will make an enormous difference in your happiness, right? Once your basic needs are met, a lot more happy, a lot more money buys you a little bit more happiness. Best ways for pay, for money to buy you happiness is to give it away or spend on events in the future with other people because looking forward to things makes us happy doing things with other I do that all the time. I've already got three that's trips planned for 2023. <laughs> woo, that's awesome. That's a great way for money to make you happy. I need it. I've earned it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you have. But by itself, the money doesn't make much difference. In Again, science is not perfect. It's an ongoing conversation, but numerous studies have found there's no difference at all in happiness past about 70, 75K in the US. 
Now it might make a difference in life satisfaction. You might you might drive home saying, "Oh, I'm making a I'm making six figures. I'm proud of myself." And yeah, you should be, but it's not going to make much difference in your happiness. I just happened to segue to commuting. Commuting sucks in the data. And so, sorry if my language offends anyone, but if you do what scientists call experience sampling, experience sampling is we're going to install an app on your phone and every once in a while at random times it's going to go what are you doing? How do you feel? Commuting, especially to work in the morning, comes out at the bottom of happiness data. Mm -hmm. It's one of the least pleasant things we do. So look, the pandemic has been horrible. It's been especially horrible for big groups of people. I happen to not be in those groups of people. To my surprise, my career did just fine during the pandemic. People needed happiness. A lot of my customers are video game companies. Video game companies did fantastically during right. the pandemic. So look, the pandemic is complicated, but, and it was horrible for a lot of people, including all those that are no longer with us. But one of the things that may be positive out of the pandemic is people are, are commuting less and commuting is miserable time. I think I covered most of the things you mentioned. Did I forget any? Um, well, Let's see here. Yeah, so you forgot one, but I want to hit on exactly what you just said. So a good time for me to do that. So you said your coworkers and relationships with other people are number one, but working remote and getting rid of the commute probably yes. has hindered that. Right? Exactly. So what are your exactly what are your what are your thoughts and research on that? Well identified, Ryan. Yes, that is exactly one of the perils of the pandemic is relationships have suffered, right? Mm -hmm. So a ton of my clients, I, I always try to customize what I do for clients. So I get on the uh, on the phone or Zoom with them and say, tell me what's going on. Tell me in your ideal world, what will people think, feel, or do differently when we're done with one of these sessions that I have. Bunch of clients recently have been like, well, about a third of our team has never met anybody else on the team. Hmm. We hired them during the pandemic. We've all been working remotely. Uh, relationships have been strained. You know, I, my former boss at Intel, he, he said this tongue in cheek, but but I think there's some truth to it. He, he said that we needed to get together with people from other sites about once a quarter or so, because it's hard to think a person you're hanging out with is a jerk. It's easy to think a person you're not hanging out with is a jerk. Right? That's true. <laughs> and so, so. Yeah, look, we need quality relationships and we're all so busy. It's hard to invest the time in those under any circumstances, right? When you're working remotely and there's no casual chit chat time in the hallway or the kitchen, those relationships get especially fraught. So what I tell people in my Science of Happiness session is invest in relationships. If you don't do anything else, because of the science of happiness or your time with me covering the science of happiness. If you don't do anything else, please, pretty please with sugar on top, invest in the quality of your relationships. If you're working remotely, it is possible to still invest in relationships. It takes a bit more effort. So let me give you one easy example. I do a fair bit of executive coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's often over Zoom. I met a client once a few months back and their virtual background had changed. And I was like, oh, new virtual background. W what city is that? And he said, oh, it's Cleveland. This week, we all changed our Zoom backgrounds to be a place we've lived in the past. 
I was like, what a great, easy way to build in some of that casual connection that we're missing in remote work. Again, almost everything has advantages and disadvantages. Remote work has a lot of advantages, but the disadvantage is losing that casual time with each other. And pictures are worth a thousand words. So, mm. hey, everybody on your remote background, change it if you're willing to be a picture of your family or change it to your favorite spot in nature this week. And next week, change it to a place you hope to visit before you die or anything like that. We need investments in relationships to reap the rewards of happiness. Okay, this is uh, ironic because like I mentioned tw 20, 30 minutes ago, feel free to use me as an example. And I'm going to go ahead and put stuff out there because I just, I don't care at this point. Um, yeah, go for it. Go figure that it's one of the things when I first started was we had, we were told what backgrounds to use and we were just like, everybody leaves it. It's been the same for everybody the oh. last, since I've started, I'll just say, since I've started. And not only that, there's like no built-in time at at all whatsoever for chit chat. I was just telling this to my wife last night. I was like, what's the terminology for for that and how I'm feeling about this? She's like, like camaraderie. I was like, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. there's zero built-in time for camaraderie, especially when someone is, I'll say semi-recently -rec new yep. and starting remote. Yeah. There has just been ramped up, get to work, yeah. almost robotic. Yep. And I, everything you're naming is just kind of like, okay, this is, this explains why I'm feeling the way that I feel. And I was yeah. telling my wife last night, I said, I feel like I have all like the symptoms of like yeah. being sick. I'm not sick, but I was like, I have the symptoms of the unhappiness. I mean, Ryan, this is part of why I started Happy Brain Science. Life's too short to be miserable at work, right? I know. I know. We spend mo it, it's it's a little sad to think of it this way, but it's true. If you remove the time when we're sleeping and you just look at the time we're awake, for most yeah. of us, we spend more time with our colleagues at work mm -hmm. than anyone else in our lives. Yep. You and I are both married. We both see our colleagues more than we see our own spouses sometimes, some mm -hmm. weeks, right? So life's too short for that huge amount of time we spend to be miserable time. And it's so easy for it to be miserable for the, all the reasons you're saying. And so many others, it's just easy to be miserable at work. I've been it. I've been there. I've done that. That's part of why I respond to the science of happiness. Like this, I need this. How do I get more of this? Cause I am not happy at work right now. So I feel you, Ryan. And it's, it, I mean, being told, here's your background, thou shalt use nothing else. Talk about removal of autonomy. Like, wow, that's disengaging right away, right? Mm -hmm. And then we just, we need time with each other. So, But it's an easy trap to fall into, right? So I mentioned Intel. When I started at Intel, I was a, a new leader there. I really wanted to do well. I studied all the corporate values. One of their corporate values at Intel is results orientation, right? So I was like, okay. I am going to be results oriented. I am going to get done all the time, right? So I'd sit down with a one-on-one. -on -one, I'd sit down for a one-on-one -on -one meeting with one of my reports. I'd spend zero minutes on personal connection. I mean, not even, hi, how are you? But just like, okay, we got half an hour agenda. We got the Northwood project. We got the the uh, this project, that project. How's this going? What's happened with zero human connection? It's yeah, like- that's how it is. 
we are human beings. Let's connect as people first, right? So I'm not proud of the fact that I didn't spend any time on human connection. Now that I know the science of happiness, I know that's incredibly foolish, right? So look, different studies show different things. I've seen a range of studies for a for a boost in productivity from happiness, anywhere from eight to 30% is what you see from various high quality peer reviewed studies. That is, if you make someone happier, they will be eight to 30% more productive. Let's be very conservative and say it's a 10% boost from product in productivity from happiness. I think the data suggests it's more, but let's be really conservative and say it's 10%. That means you could spend 9% of your time working on making yourself and colleagues happier and you'd come out net positive in productivity. Hmm. So if you have a half hour meeting with one person, you should spend at least three minutes connecting as human beings because that's the number one factor in our happiness. And we all know how much relationships matter, even if you don't look at the happiness factor, right? How do you get things done? Through relationships. How do you get help at work? Through your network. How do you get new ideas? By chatting with colleagues. So... Yeah, we need to connect as human beings. And I don't mean to be self-promotional, but that's why I'm making a video game version of this card game. The card game works great if someone's in person in the office, but a lot of us are still remote or hybrid. Mm -hmm. And we don't take time to connect and do something fun together. So the video game, Choose Happiness at Work Online, not out yet, but hopefully this year with any luck, part of the point is to give people an opportunity to learn about each other and the science of well-being at the same time. I'm going to ask you perhaps a few exercises, techniques, or some things that like a boss or a manager can like interject into their teams to increase happiness. But first, I want to ask you this. I just wrote this down. Can you, can an employee bounce back from being incredibly unhappy is is that like possible? Or is there like a point of like no return? When it comes well, to unfortunately that? for some people, there is a point of no return, right? And one of the fascinating areas in the science is what's called post-traumatic growth, right? So something horrible happens to us as people all too often in life. And by the way, science and happiness cannot help us avoid hardship in life. It is inevitable. The question is how are we going to respond, Right. And the evidence is that happier people are more resilient. So too late if somebody's miserable listening to this and thinking, I'm worried that I'm near that breaking point. I'm sorry if that's true. And let me just quickly acknowledge if people are listening this and 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 not watching the video, look, I'm a white male. I've had my life a lot easier than some other people on the planet, right? Life can be really hard. And I don't want anybody out there thinking, oh, sure, white male, you talk about happiness all you want. Try living as blank, blank, blank. It's much harder. I want to acknowledge, I know it's harder for some people than I've had it. Not that my life has been a walk in the park. I won't get into all that for time reasons, but trust me, it's not all been sunshine and rainbows. Anyway, when the hard things happen to us, does it send us into a downward spiral or can it trigger learning and growth and new things? I mean, the science is not clear on exactly how we go one direction or another, but the science is clear that happier people are more resilient and more likely to bounce back more quickly. So bad news, more hard stuff is coming to your life, everybody. Good news, you can actually kind of prepare for it 
by investing in your relationships and happiness and and well-being? I guess, I mean, that's a great answer, by the way. I guess my question is more towards this like one, we'll say situation. Let's just say I'm having conversations with my boss and manager. I'm like, hey, I'm like super unhappy. I'm kind of at my breaking point, you know, my breaking point or whatever. And let's say they hear me and they're like, okay, we're going to make some adjustments, make some tweaks. Is there any data or research? Like at that point, is it just too late, whatever they do? Or is it possible to bounce back and okay, I feel really good now? It is not too late at all for most people out there. So what do you do? Well, that's a that's a four hour answer. I wish I were kidding. I wish I were kidding. I ask a lot of questions. That's why I have a podcast. No, no, no. It's it's all good. It's just mm-hmm. if someone says, you know, what's your ideal timing for a science of happiness session? I say, I know this sounds long, but ideally three to four hours would be really good. So there's a lot to go over, right? But let me give you the four themes that I use. Yeah, there's some basic self-care stuff, sleep matters, exercise matters, diet matters, bunch of stuff I think you talk about on your show matters. So absolutely take good care of yourself, self-care matters. Then the four themes that I have in my Science of Happiness session are, and I'll explain all of these at least briefly, subdue stress, practice positivity, flow to goals, and revitalize relationships. So subdue stress. We've talked about that some Stress and happiness are not exactly on the same axis, but it's hard to be high stress and high happiness at the same time. Mm. It's easier to be happier if you manage stress effectively. So cope effectively with life's inevitable hardships with things like exercise, mindfulness, social support. Attitude, we've touched on this briefly. You can roll your own eyes if, if you want to at your corny attitude, if you want to listeners but positive attitude works. So bring it. It doesn't mean toxic positivity, right? It doesn't mean, oh, you just lost your parent. Well, look on the bright side, right? No, that's toxic positivity, right? Unpleasant emotions are normal, natural, healthy, and helpful. And if you use lose a loved one or anything else sad and horrible, you got to feel that stuff, right? But can you eventually find the positive attitude again? It helps. Flow to goals is a reference to the importance of goals and progress towards goals for happiness and engagement and the amazing delightful zone that I hope and believe you and I are both in right now that psychologists call flow. When you spend 20 minutes or more really focused on something, and I've been completely focused on this conversation (laughs) with you, if it's challenging at all, if you're making good progress, all of that's true here. You get into that zone where everything's clicking, right? You know the next question to ask because your brain is humming, right? I know the next thing to do on my video game because I'm in the flow. I'm in the zone. It's a delightful zone to be in. So I talk, and especially during hard times, right? So you talked about some hard times for you. You've talked about some hard times for other people at work. New research has shown during the pandemic and other really challenging times like this, flow is especially useful for boosting your mood. So look, the world is horrible out there. There's all kinds of things to worry about out there, but you can do that graphic design and get completely absorbed in it and make something beautiful to add to the world, right? The world may be hard out there, but I can completely immerse myself in my video game code and make progress towards helping people lead better lives. Flow matters. 
-hmm. And finally, revitalize relationships, prioritize people, invest in relationships, however you want to put it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it all day long until everybody in the world knows it. Number one factor for most of us is quality of relationships. So I am not your boss, <laughs> mercifully, but if you were, if, but if I were your boss and you came to me and said, I'm really unhappy at work right now, I'd look at those four themes and what we can do to improve things for you. That's great. I really appreciate that. I'm going to list that out in the show notes, a lot of stuff I'm going to put in the show notes so people can go back to, but I mentioned a few moments ago, what are some things that managers can do in situations like mine? where there's just not a whole lot going on as far as being human beings and camaraderie. And is there anything with me not being that higher up manager that I can do for my position? Yeah. I love these questions. I really do. In my science of happiness session, I try to present only things that individuals can do without waiting for their boss or the C-suite to change things. So there are things that bosses and, and companies, organizations can do to improve happiness and well-being for people. But I try to focus on what individuals can do. I, I call my game Choose Happiness at Work because science is clear that happiness largely is a choice. There are choices we can make that'll lead to more happiness and less happiness. So, so individually, what can you do? Well, I'm going to start repeating some of the things I've talked about, but taking good care of yourself when you're not working, mm -hmm. finding that human connection more than anything else, finding and building that human connection. I talked earlier about managing up. If you've got a boss who's not connecting with you as a human being, uh, you know, first of all, send them to my site, happybrainscience.com. <laughs> I've got some reading for them. And so I got a free recommendation. I wonder how that would list. come across and be like, <clears throat> yeah, here you go. take a, take a <laughs> no, look at this. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying that tongue in cheek, although I do have a whole bunch of free stuff on my site, including recommended reading lists for people who want to get into more depth than we have time for here today. <laughs> but, but what I would try to get through to leaders, your boss or anybody above you in an organization here's one of the most direct ways to get at what they care about, right? They care about the bottom line, typically leaders do. You can ask a boss, do you have any idea how much turnover costs for our organization? They probably won't know. Most don't that I talk to, but a lot of experts estimate it's about one and a half times annual salary. Wow. So let's take somebody who's getting compensated $100,000 in a year. By the way, their salary would be less. That's compensation plus benefits, $100,000 in a year. If somebody's getting paid $100,000 and that person leaves an organization, the organization loses about 150 grand, the estimate goes, because first of all, their heads part way out the door, right? I mean, you can hear it when you talk, Ryan, I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but your heart and mind are partially out the door already, right? You're not doing as work as well as you could be if you were really happy and focused and engaged, right? So well, that's- just, I do have a lot of personal pride. I definitely hold no. myself to high standard. No, I'm just putting I, that out there, but yeah. I yeah, get what you're and, and I'm not trying to diss you. I'm sure you're working hard, right? But, <laughs> but, but when somebody's thinking about what's next, do I really want to keep doing this? They're mm -hmm. probably not giving you their best effort that they could be, right? So there's that lost time. Then if you leave, there's an empty position. Now everyone's scrambling, trying to cover for that, right? Now we spend a lot of time and money trying to find somebody new. Then we have to train and incorporate that person. 
all of that factored together about one and a half times annual salary. So that means if somebody quits boss, that means you're going to lose one and a half times their annual salary. You personally are going to spend time trying to replace that person, especially in times when talent is in demand as it, in, as it is right now. I mean, unemployment's very low right now. It makes a lot of sense to invest in keeping the people you've got, hmm. right? So boss, turnover is super expensive. I want us to make sure we keep all these good people we got. According to the data, part of what makes people stay is human connection. I mean, in my employee engagement session, I go through a lot of data and research, and I end up towards the end in a slide that says human managers matter most. And I capitalize the first of each of those words. So it reads, hmm, down the left edge, typical <laughs> speaker trick, right? But I'm trying to get people to remember is why speakers like me do these cheesy things with acronyms. I say, I've given you a lot of information about employee engagement. You may be wondering where to start. Where should you start on engagement? Hmm, human managers matter most. The pe person making the biggest difference in someone's engagement level is that person's immediate manager. And the best thing that manager can do to keep that person engaged and by the way, happy is invest in their relationship with that person. Awesome. So look, there's a lot, literally four hours of things we could talk about here, but the most important thing is human connection. Yep. I definitely get that. And I'm now that you've said that, I mean, I've felt that my eyes are going to be open even more just to kind of see how that goes. I'd say over these next few weeks and, Something I also wanted to bring up that I, I asked as part of that list that has actually been nice in my workplace is appreciation. Ah, yes. How much yes. does that matter? Thank you for reminding me. You're appreciation welcome. is huge for the giver and the receiver. Part of why I love teaching the science of happiness is so much of it is win-win, right? Mm -hmm. So if I give you genuine, specific gratitude, uh, I got a recipe for that that I really like from a collaborator I had who at the time was vice president of human resources at Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. That's a VP of HR at HP for my tech acronym loving people. <laughs> she said, good specific gratitude includes the specific behavior, the emotional difference, the emotional impact it had, and the business impact it had. So not made up real life example for you, Ryan. Ryan, I am so grateful that you had me on this podcast, Specific Behavior, because emotional impact. It gives me human connection in a day that otherwise didn't have a lot of it. Thank you. Helps me feel better. And I love talking about the science of happiness and engagement. My, my life is meaningful if I can help other people in some way. And you having me on your show is going to help me help other people. When you get specific gratitude like that, what exactly are you grateful for? What's the emotional impact? What's the business impact? That gratitude has an impact on the recipient usually, right? Mm -hmm. The impact, we we all, I shouldn't say all. According to the data, more than 80% of us say appreciation is highly motivating for us at work. And a similarly high percentage, north of 80%, say we don't get enough of it. It is free for managers to do, right? right. It, it yeah. is, if you just do it verbally, it's free. If you do it with a Starbucks gift card or whatever, it's five or 10 bucks. Here's the beautiful part. It makes an even bigger difference for the giver of the gratitude, right? 
Hopefully your mood went up when I gave you that genuine gratitude. I wasn't making that up. I really am grateful for this. Thank you. My mood goes up even more than yours when I give you gratitude. We've heard it is better to give than to receive. Literally true in a study done of appreciation, but also done with gifts. So one of my heroes in the science of happiness is Professor Sonia Lubomirsky. She led a study in an organization where people were randomly assigned to a control group, givers or receivers. And control groups' happiness stayed the same. Receivers' happiness went up. Givers' happiness went up the most. So again, so much of it is win-win. Kinder people are happier people. Generous people are happier people. So the, the beautiful thing is, if we're all good people, we all get happier and healthier and do better and make more money and live longer. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny you said like Starbucks gift card because I'm managing a couple of freelancers right now. They're not like full-time part of the company, but at previous jobs and stuff, I've managed people right below me. Yeah. And I've always set reminders either on my personal phone or my personal calendar, so-and-so six months, so-and-so one year, so-and-so's birthday, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it reminds me to like give them a gift card or take them out for lunch or yeah. say, hey, Christmas, you're here's 50 bucks to Amazon. You're doing a great job. It's stuff like that. You know, and I it's funny when you don't get that from your manager. It's one of those things where doing that stuff also makes you realize you're not getting it from, from other people yes. too. Yes. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I like, I like being a manager. I like showing appreciation. Like, honestly, just had this conversation, like I said, the other day with my wife and I was like, you cook for me all the time, but I say, thank you every night. I still say, thank you every night. I think it's so important just to tell somebody, yeah. thank you. I appreciate this. Appreciation goes a long way with me for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It does for most of us, most of the time. Okay. So as we wind down here, I got a couple more questions and I think like probably 10, 15, 20 years ago, correct me if I'm wrong. I think like a lot of these perks that jobs were offering were kind of like somewhat BS, but I kind of wanted to ask you about that. Like we have a ping pong table at work. Uh, we have snack machines at work or something yeah. like that. It's these perks personally, I don't care about, but one, do people actually really care about? And, and two, are there any perks that a work can offer that people genuinely do love having? Yeah, excellent question again. I, I think perks do have a positive effect. Part of why is it's easy to forget how much you're getting paid. It's, you know, most of us have direct deposit or whatever. It's like, I can't remember even exactly what my salary <laughs> is. But so it's like the money just sort of is invisible to us. But like, ooh, there's kombucha in the kitchen. That's great. Or there's a ping pong table in the break room. That's great. But a lot of companies focus on perks as a path to happiness. Oh, people need to be happy. Let's put a keg and a ping pong table and a pool table in the break room. It's like, okay, look. What really makes people happy are meaningful work, autonomy, mm -hmm. a reasonable level of stress, um, relationships, again, flow, unnerved time, positive attitude, et cetera. So if people want to know what really makes a difference in happiness, ask me, study the science of happiness, read some of the books on my recommended reading, watch some of the, the TED Talks that I list on my site. Science can guide us to better choices. Ping pong tables are actually good because they get people active and chatting with each other, right? I've had good meetings over ping pong tables. That's literally. only, here's the thing. I've worked at places with ping pong tables, but they never really gave you time to exactly. play. 
I was like, what's the purpose of this? (laughs) Time to connect is the connection is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Facilitating connection is the most important thing. Okay. That was, <laughs> I didn't know if there was more to well, that. I should touch on work-life balance because you asked me earlier about that and I didn't talk about it. Very briefly, it's surprising how little that matters in our happiness. Now, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I know there, there are trends out there, right? There's quiet quitting going on. There's bare minimum Mondays going on. I understand that a lot of organizations will take as much as you're willing to give and you got to set some limits. I am all for boundaries and limits. But if you enjoy what you're doing, the amount of time you spend doing it has very little impact on your overall happiness. Mm -hmm. So you're working 30, 40, 50, or even 60 hours a week. If you love it and you're not getting stressed out by it, if you're not missing your kids because of that or something, it can actually be quite positive for your happiness. Everyone needs to make their own choices. I'm not trying to tell people to work themselves to death. Life is short. We work too hard in general in the United States in particular, but work-life balance, surprisingly small impact on happiness. How much you enjoy what you're doing is a much bigger impact. That makes sense. Okay. So as a boss myself sometimes, and as having a boss, what is a factor or factors or characteristics that make you want to work for somebody else harder. Cause I remember not too long ago in this podcast, you're like, hooray, yeah. let's go do this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets a pep speech, right? That what is, what is the reasoning behind actually really wanting to work for somebody else? So this is another three to four hour answer. I'll try <laughs> to give it to you in one minute. My employee engagement session uses mind the gap as a mnemonic device to help people remember a bunch of complex information. So gap is an acronym I use twice. First, goals, alignment, progress. Second, growth, appreciation, people. Employee engagement is very complex. There is more to it than that. But the most important things are goals, good, clear, meaningful goals. Why is this goal matter? What's the difference it's going to make in somebody's life, right? And then alignment. There's a lot in alignment, but basically you want to communicate a lot to align on what you're doing and why. What's the meaning again? Align work to use people's strengths. Do what you get to do best. Align on quality and more. So lots in alignment, but goals, alignment, progress. I've mentioned progress, but in a, in a wonderful study done by Professor Teresa Amabile and peers then at Harvard, found the biggest factor on quality in her work life, as she called it, was simply progress towards clear and meaningful goals. So goals, alignment, progress, and then growth. We talked about it earlier. We want to be progressing in our careers. And so what are we learning? What are we doing new? Appreciation we just talked about and people. It always keeps coming back to people and relationships biggest factor on happiness and engagement is the quality of relationships. It all comes down to that. Scott, I appreciate this. As we wrap up here, I want to give you the floor to say whatever you want to say, any advice for anybody who you can use me as example if you want, but anybody who's just feels that they're unhappy or trending towards unhappiness, or maybe they aren't even sure if they're happy or not at work. What's that? What advice do you got? First of all, I want to start with empathy because I've been really unhappy at certain times in my life. I've been really unhappy certain times in my career. 
life brings us sadness and hardship and it's unavoidable. So if anyone listening is going through hard times right now, you are so far from alone and there's nothing wrong with you being sad or even depressed. I'm not your mental health counselor. Let's make clear. But look, you're not alone if you're feeling down. I was really excited when I discovered the science of happiness, because instead of just sort of hoping things get better, science, solid peer-reviewed experimental data can guide us to choices that'll boost our well-being and therefore our ability to cope with life's hard stuff. I've been over some of those, so I just want to leave people with this. It's not always easy to be happy. It is possible to choose more happiness in your career and in your life. And science can guide us to what works for most people most of the time. And I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but it's this important. If you don't do anything else, invest in the quality of your relationships. If you want to know much more, there's a bunch of free stuff on happybrainscience.com. And I'd love to help people any way I can. Is that the best way to find you? Is there anywhere else people can find you? Uh, I am on some social media. I'm most active on LinkedIn, but yeah, my site is the best way to learn more about the science that I teach. And it's also the best way to reach me probably is through our contact form on happybrainscience.com. Perfect. This has been extremely insightful, very eye-opening and also reassuring at the same time. You've been awesome. Scott, I'm glad we can make this happen. Like I said, you're a perfect fit for this. Honestly, like I know I tried to get you months and months ago when things were happening. It, I mean, just it happened for a reason, right? It yeah. happened for a reason to happen right now because I think the conversation wouldn't have been different months ago. So I think this is going to help so many more people. I'm so. so glad we got the time together, Ryan. Thank me you too. so much for helping me reach more people. It is my mission in life to help people apply the science of happiness more. You've helped me do that. And I'm really grateful. So Absolutely. thank you so much. Big, big thank you to Scott Crabtree for joining me on this episode, bringing all of his research and great information. I clearly had a lot of questions on this. It was somewhat personal. Um, I'm sure we've all been there one way or another as far as uh, happiness at work and what affects us being happy. I was really, really interested in that. I'm glad I got some answers on that. I was, like I said, I was surprised by some of them, but ultimately it did make a lot of sense what he was able to provide. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I do appreciate you listening so much. So please subscribe, please leave a review, and please share because sharing is caring. And I really do appreciate that. It helps get this podcast out to so many more people And I put so much work and love and passion into this. So this getting out to even more people means the absolute world to me. So please just take a moment and do that for me if you could. And uh, thank you so much once again for listening to this episode. I will be back very, very soon with some more amazing guests. I cannot wait. They're already on the schedule. I cannot wait for you to get to these. But until next time, follow me on Instagram at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast, and I will catch you all in the next episode.